Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the show. I'm your host, Kyle Miller. Thank you for joining us today. I'm on a mission to bring you stories and insights of extraordinary individuals who have paved their own path to success and in doing so, transformed their lives and their communities. But before we meet our guest today, Today's show is brought to you by Apex Allies, your key to slashing costs and boosting productivity. With Apex Allies, you gain access to exceptional virtual assistance at half the usual cost of what you are paying, transforming how you handle administration tasks. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to more time focusing on business growth. Apex Allies offers the support you need with the without the financial strain, making it easier to prioritize what truly matters. Visit GoApexAllies.com to evaluate your business efficiency with Apex Allies. With that said, our guest today, I'm excited to have you on here, owner-operator of Piedmont Radiant, Jeffrey Perry. How are you doing today, sir? Pretty good. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, I, uh, I've heard about you uh, from other guys that are in the industry. Hey, if you, if you need work on boilers, if you need work with that, you are the man to talk to. So I'm excited to have you here in the show today to kind of give us your knowledge, why we use boilers, how it all operates, and just kind of like your story into this biz and how you've been so popular here in Charlottesville. Yeah, sometimes too popular. <laughs> I bet your phone rings off the hook. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. No problem. So uh, to get started, Jeff, and we were kind of talking before the show started, how did you get into this business? Like, you have a bachelor's degree in engineering, so obviously you're pretty good with numbers, right? Um, and you, you own a radiant, so, but you've got a story. Like, you've been doing this for a while. And, and like, how did you get into this? How did you, did you just by happenstance, or how did that happen? So I was born and raised up in... New York, um, what's referred to around here as a damn Yankee. <laughs> um, I am third generation in this business. Okay. So my grandfather started the business in 1927. My father worked with him all his life. Um, he, when he came back from World War II, 1945, he opened his branch of the business in the same town. Uh, I worked with him most of my life as a kid. As a matter of fact, I have, floating around somewhere, I have a little magazine that was produced by a company called Myers Pumps. They still manufacture pumps today. Uh -huh. And <clears throat> they produced four issues a year. And in that issue, they always highlighted a supply house, and they also highlighted a contractor in that was in the area of that supply house. Well, in the third quarter of 1954, they highlighted my father. I have a photograph in that magazine of me in a custom-made pair of coveralls at the age of 18 months, <laughs> quote, helping my father. Right. So I can actually tell people that I've been in this business my entire life, and I can prove it. Right. <laughs> so I've been doing this forever. Uh -huh. um, I obviously took time off to go to college. Uh, you're right. I got a four-year engineering degree. I also got an attached degree in math. Uh, so um, math is fine. Don't ask me to spell stuff right. Right. Uh, 
And after college, I didn't <clears throat> quite get the job. See, I was never going to do this. Uh-huh. It was like, just like I, I just, I don't, that. I do not want to do this for a living. Right. <clears throat> um, so I got an engineering degree and I, I had a goal, but when I got out of college, I didn't get the job I wanted. So I went to work for a company that uh, offered me a job called Osmos. And it gave me the ability for a couple of years to travel the country because Osmos goes into a town and they either work for a power company or a telephone company and they inspect and treat telephone poles. Mm -hmm. So the foreman goes into a town, hires a crew, does a certain amount of work, and then leaves. The upside is I got to travel all over. The downside is because you're only in a town for two or three months, finding a place to live is a pain in the butt because you can't sign a lease. Right. So as you get to be uh, with them for a while, you got to pick where you went. Well, I was enjoying myself. I worked in Maine in the summer times, and then I got, I did North Carolina, South Carolina. I did some work in West Virginia. I did a job in Roanoke with another foreman. It was a very large job. So as I got to be over two years with them, they asked me where, you know, when, uh, Maine is only spring, summer, early fall. Right. Then they move you. So they asked me where I wanted to go. Well, I had never at that point in time in my life ever been to Florida. Mm -hmm. So I said, I want to go to Florida for the, for the winter. Okay. Well, we've got a really small little job for you to do down in South Carolina. And then when you get that one done, we'll pop you down in Florida. So I did the job in South Carolina. And as I was finishing up, they contacted me and they said, well, we got a problem. Um, we've been after this power company in Louisiana for years. Mm -hmm. And they've never let us do their work. We finally have them agreeing to do the work, but here's the problem. They want the foreman to have a college education. Yeah. You're the only one we've got. <laughs> so we're sending you to beautiful, scenic Fort Polk, Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And what time of year is this? Summer? So this would, oh, no, 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 no. Oh. I would have been in Maine in summer. So okay. this would have been oh, this is... late fall. Okay. Uh, maybe right. early winter. So uh, I went down. I didn't want to, but I went down. And it was, I mean, it was off. It was rainy season. Um, there's a whole story behind that. And I ended up saying, no, this is not what you told me. Right. I'm now like two and a half years into this company. And I just said, I, I've just, I've had it. I really need to do something with my education. And so I left. So I literally one day uh, called the boss and I said, left him a message and said, hey, you're... Uh, your truck's in the parking lot of the grocery store and the key's under the front fender. Um, I towed my car everywhere I went. So I grabbed my dog, climbed in a car, and took off. Well, I happened to know, on my way back to New York, I happened to know that the foreman for that same company that I worked with in Roanoke mm -hmm. was living in Lovingston. Okay. He was doing a job for the same company in Lovingston. Uh -huh. But the thing is that he had found himself a girlfriend moved in with her, and when this job ended, he was quitting. He was staying here. Yeah. So I passed, I was going to go say hi, so I passed her on away, visited, 
and, you know, big old farmhouse, five bedrooms, two spares. And he said, stay a while. So one week became two, became a month, became two months. That was a, that was a very uh, generous uh, girlfriend. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was a down-home country girl. She was, she was absolutely fine with it. Yeah. But um, so, you know, I was beginning to run out of money, and I really didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. I really liked it down there. Uh, so he said, well, stay. Go find a job. So I didn't know much about, you know, I'm in Lovingston. I don't know much about Charlottesville or Lynchburg, and Lovingston's dead center. Mm-hmm. So I literally took a coin out of my pocket, and I flipped it. And I said, well, heads, I'm going to go to Charlottesville and find a job, and tails, I'll go to Lynchburg. Yeah. Not knowing the real difference in the cultures and the right. type of cities these two cities were. Charlottesville won. So I drove up here and found a plumbing company uh, down on River Road, a company called Brunk Mechanical. They're based out of uh, Newport News. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and interviewed, and they hired me on the spot, and they were so excited because... I was living in Lovingston, and this was the year that the first set of condos were being built up on Wintergreen. Yeah. And they had the plumbing contract to do all the plumbing. Mm-hmm. So they said, this is great. Don't bother coming to the office. Just drive up to Wintergreen every day, which right. is great on my car. Um, worked with them, went from the plumbing department to the service department, and within a uh, few years, became the service manager, uh, fell in love with the secretary, which I know we're not supposed to say. <laughs> uh, so finally, you know, talking with my dad, he was still running the family business up in New York. Uh, he was getting to a point in time that uh, he needed help, and I kind of wanted to go home. Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized, well, maybe I'm not going to do the whole... I mean, not that the engineering and the math was not benefiting me, don't get me wrong. Right. But I began to see that maybe this was really where I belonged. So I grabbed the receptionist by the hand and dragged her to New York. Um, She was born and raised down in Radford, so she's a Virginia girl. Gotcha. And uh, went up and... Uh, bought, my, bought my grandmother's house. Uh-huh. So the house, from the day it was built, was still in the family. Um, and went to work. Mm-hmm. Now, up in New York, everything up there is hot water heat. Okay. So, you know, maybe a few warm air furnaces. Okay. Uh, I mean, back then, no heat pumps. Right. Heat pumps were... There's some there now, but that was uh, a thing that hadn't really gotten up there yet. But everything was boilers, hot water. Uh And that's what our family did. Okay. Plumbing and hot water heat. So I knew boilers. Uh, I mean, that's all I knew was, as far as heat goes, was how to design heating systems, boilers, and how to repair them, how to service them, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Finally, my wife, after being up there for 10 years, so we, this would have been 
So this would have been approaching 1980, 81. Okay. My wife said, um, I really would like to go back home. Uh-huh. So, you know, I thought, well, okay, I mean, uh, if I have to go anywhere other than my hometown, I sure don't mind going back to Charlottesville. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. So I said, okay, I understand. Um, I'll tell you what. Uh, we've got to figure out, if we do go back, we've got to figure out what we're going to do about a house. So I made a huge mistake at the time, I didn't know that, but, and I told her, go down and visit family, go down and visit friends, just go down and see what the housing market's like. Right. Okay. So she goes down, visits, comes home a week later, walks in the door, no hello, no hi, hun, walks in the door and says, I bought a house. <laughs> okay. Uh, not what I had in mind. Wait, she didn't call you and ask? No. She just was no. like, walk in the door, bought a house. Bought a house. <laughs> we have to go down and sign papers and all that. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, she did okay. Um, and that's back when you could afford to buy a house. Right. Uh, and what we did, because we weren't ready to come down right away, so we turned, it's a split level, so we turned the basement into a little apartment with its own entrance, uh-huh. blocked off the upstairs and rented it to a professor, Yeah, which was good because he at least treated the house okay. So I didn't move fast enough for her. I, I thought, I mean, she was happy now for a while. We had a house. She knew it was going to happen sooner right. or later. And I finally, I said, okay, I, I got you. So I already know what I'm doing. I've got multiple people down here saying if I ever came back, they're ready to hire me in a heartbeat. Right. I know what I'm doing for a living. What are you doing for a living? Right. So she's an appraiser. She was doing appraising in New York. She had gone to NYU to their appraisal school. Uh, she's very good at what she does. And she, I said, go down and see if there's, can you get a job in an auction house or something? Yeah. So, okay. See, I, I should have learned from the first one. She comes down, visits for a week, stays in her little apartment, comes back home. Hi, hon, I got a job. I start in two weeks. <laughs> I, love how your, I love how your wife is just, uh, we're getting it done. We're yeah, making we're, the we're, This is going to happen. <laughs> well, it, by coincidence, the professor had going to bought a house. Uh-huh. So the whole house was empty. So we, I said, okay, I'm now being forced to move this along. So what we did is we moved half our stuff down. Uh-huh. She moved into the upstairs. She got a job. <clears throat> she got a part-time job at the university and a part-time job at an auction house here in town back then called Harlow Powell Auctions. And I said, well, okay, well, I've got to figure out what I'm, I've got jobs I'm in the middle of, I've got, you know, I just can't leave. So we kind of lived like that for about eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, I would come visit, she'd come visit. So finally I started to close the business down. Yeah. Because I have a half brother and he wasn't quite ready to do this yet. He was still young too him. young. Yeah. Uh, so I started 
and finally closed it down, moved down here in 82, uh, and went to work for another company. And we opened a hydronics division. Hydronics being hot water heat. Okay. The term so that we use. Were you like some of the first ones in town mm -hmm. here to start that? Yeah, there's, there's only, per se, one other company in town that specializes in it. Okay. And um, the founder of that company has, they're still around, but he's kind of gone on his, what, he's not there anymore. Uh-huh. Um, I'm still, even to this day, I'm about it. Yeah. Now, there are plumbing companies and other people in town that dabble. Okay. And unfortunately, not unfortunately for me, but unfortunately for the business and for the customers, I make... I get a lot of jobs and make a lot of money fixing other people's stuff. Yeah. Because hydronics is not just stick some pipes together and you're good to go. Right. It, there's a lot to it. Um, for a while, I was teaching some hydronics at K-Tech. Oh, wow. Okay. At, to the adult education. Yeah. The, yep. the guys that are working for someone and have to get their journeyman's card and stuff. So I was doing that for a while. Um, but... So I worked for them for a while, and a friend of mine who worked there left and went to work for a very large mechanical company here in town, mm -hmm. Southern Air. Okay. They're based out of Lynchburg. They have 700 plus employees. Right. Uh, they do commercial. Right. He went to work for them and kind of convinced me to go with them. So I went and worked for them. Um, I soon found out and what drove me to find out that this was not my thing was that I was one of the project managers for the Paramount Theater. Okay. Which, at the height of that job, we had 55 guys there. Wow. It was unreal. And it was too much stress for me. Yeah. I'm more residential like commercial. Right. Um, and really, the hydronics is where my real interest lies. Mm -hmm. So after the Paramount Theater, um, I said, that's it. I can't do it anymore. Right. And one of the reasons I left is that to really take you on a side trip, in 1990, I've always been, ever since my father introduced me to sports car racing, I have always been a sports car racing fan. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we followed it everywhere. We would, from up in New York, we'd go up to Watkins Glen, and we've been to the 24 Hours of Daytona and mm -hmm. a lot of the big races. Well, I found out that there was a gentleman here in Charlottesville that raced. And I finally got introduced to him. And uh, we talked for a while. And then he went on his way, I went on mine. And before he drove off, he said, maybe I'll call you sometime. Well, he didn't take my number or anything. You know, I think it's just a polite way of... Right. So one Saturday, uh, I'm at home. My wife, I'm outside working. My wife comes out and says, uh, is a guy on a phone? Something about racing? I said, <laughs> okay. So I picked the phone up and he said, listen, I'm going to be out at the race shop getting the car ready for this upcoming season. Uh, why don't you come out and hang out? You can help me. 
I just left all the tools where they were laying for whatever <laughs> it is I was doing, and I took off and went to work for him for the day. Yeah. Um, it was actually his way of kind of seeing whether I knew my way around a screwdriver. Right. Um, so after that day, he said, well, if you'd like, uh, here's the deal. You would be a volunteer. You wouldn't be paid. But I foot the bill for everything. Mm-hmm. If we go to the races, I transport you. Depending on where it is, I fly you. I put you up. I feed you. So everything is covered. Right. And you get to join us. I jumped on. I mean, I'm a race fan. I jumped on out like a heartbeat. Right. So I worked for him as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. So that was only weekends and race weekends, stuff like that. So I was still working. Finally, when the Southern Air and the Paramount Theater ended, he offered me full-time job, paid as the crew chief for the team. So for two and a half years, I was the crew chief on the race team. He didn't race the whole season. Mm-hmm. He was not a professional driver. He's a very good driver. Yeah. But he wasn't pro. Right. Um, and we got to go to races, and I got to work in the race shop every day of the week and got paid to do it. And I was in like freaking heaven. Yeah. Um, well, what happened was the rules changed. The car that he had, these are one off cars, these mm-hmm. are custom carbon fiber and all kinds of high tech stuff. He would have, for him to continue racing, he would have had to have gone and bought a new car oh. at big bucks. Yeah. So he decided to stop racing. So at that point in time, I knew I had to go back to what I knew. So I opened in 2007, I opened Piedmont Radiant. So that was all, that was your, the, the, the journey. That's the journey to get here. To have your, this, this is now in New York, was it your company in New York? You were the so, primary, or you were kind of working with your dad on that? Well, I was working with my dad, but my dad had, <clears throat> the way we operated, my dad had Perry Plumbing and Heating. Mm-hmm. I had Highland Heating and Cooling. Up there, I did air conditioning, which wasn't very much. Right. You installed windows? Up, huh? You installed windows? Windows? <laughs> yeah, in New York. <laughs> so um, Highland, so the area that, my hometown's in is called the Hudson Highlands. Okay. So I called it Highland Heating and Cooling. Got it. So technically we had two companies. Right. But we worked together. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah. So now, um, so we jokingly refer to Piedmont Radiant as the Southern Division of the Perry family business. <laughs> so um, my brother, my half-brother finally, he ended up getting into it too. Okay. So he was up there working with dad. Is he dad, still, still running up in New York? He's still, he's still in the business. Um, my father continued to work. Uh, my, my father finally retired at 86. Okay. He, my brother would send him on little piddly jobs right. as he got older. He would have a helper with him to drive, and my father would go in and fix sinks or, or faucets and fix a toilet, that kind of stuff, and uh, to give my father something to do. Yeah. So finally, 86, he said, that's it. Gotcha. So, so in 2007, 2007. You're, starting the, you're starting Piedmont yep. um, Radiant. Yep. 
you're you're you've already got a lot of contacts, obviously, in the area. Yeah, I, a lot of people knew you already worked for a couple of companies, so I'm sure it got it kind of was like, oh, Jeff's on his own. We're gonna just call Jeff. Is that? Uh, let me put it this way: from day one, yeah, I never advertised. Never advertised. I have never advertised. That's. I mean, that's saying something. You know, that's almost. You're almost 20 years in. You got three. You know. You're 17 in right now. Yeah. Um, to having no advertising, you don't have a website. I don't. You got to you got to look up Piedmont Radiant to to find his number. You've got to Google no or website, something, I guess. No, I mean, you found it. Yeah. There's no Facebook. There's no anything. I don't. Yeah. Um, I'm old school. I mean. Yeah. Look at me. I'm I'm 70. Uh -huh. I'm going to be at it for a little while longer. I'm not going anywhere. Right. But no, I don't do the whole social media and. Right. The whole website, I, I'm kind of of the opinion is the last thing in the world I need is more work. Right. right. I mean, I've got, I've always stayed small. I've never wanted to be overly large because mm -hmm. I've seen too many people, both small companies up in New York and people here that grew and grew and grew. And the owners just ended up having ulcers and headaches and I mean, I've I know a couple of my friends up in New York that had a business. One one electrician, he ended up folding up because mm -hmm. he just couldn't do it. He kept. I mean, he ended up with twenty some employees, and it was like the stress. you can't take time for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm small. If I want to go do something, now obviously you got guys to help you, right? You got you yeah. have a couple employees. I have a couple employees. Yeah, that I, you can do. I got stuff. one young kid. It's pretty good. Yeah, he's, he's getting learning the business. He's getting there. Yeah. It's, it's nice because this, I mean, with this industry, right, and, and Radiant Heat, tell me a little bit about Radiant Heat. Like, so it, Radiant Heat is simply, there, there's a couple of, you could, you could refer to someone that has a boiler and a whole bunch of cast iron radiators. You could call that Radiant Heat because okay. those radiators are radiantly putting heat into the space. Right. But true Radiant Heat is installing piping, tubing, mm -hmm. in a floor. I mean, you could do ceilings and walls too, but 98% right. of what we do, it's in the floor. Okay. And you put warm water through it. It's, not, it's usually not very hot water. Okay. Which is one of the benefits. You don't have to heat the water very hot. Okay. And it radiantly heats the space. Okay. It doesn't, true radiant heat does not heat the air it heats all the objects in the space. Okay. Furniture, walls, ceiling. So, which then warms the air. Okay. And one of the benefits of radiant heat is the fact that with conventional heat, you get temperature stratification. So, if you were like this space here, mm -hmm. we've got 20-foot ceilings. Yeah. So, in the middle of winter, real cold outside, the heating system here going full bore. If you were to take a thermometer and look at the temperature of the air at the ceiling, right, and look at the temperature of the air down here, mm -hmm. that would be much warmer, right? Because air, because hot air rises. rises. With radiant heat, it's the opposite. Okay. The temperature of the air up at the ceiling is less than temperature of the air down here. Okay. And of course. Whenever you want to heat a space, you're only interested in the first six feet. 
because that's where you are, right? You don't care what the temperature is up there, right? Except when you're wasting fuel by heating all that air, right? With radiant heat, that's one of the real benefits is the fact that it's very gentle. The air doesn't dry out, mm -hmm. uh, unlike blowing air, right? Um, we, in our business, anybody that's in the hydronics business that's been in it a while, refers to blowing air heat, like furnaces and stuff. Mm -hmm. We refer to that as scorched air. Okay. It's our little nickname for a blowing air system. Gotcha. Because it really dries the air out. Yeah. With radiant, it doesn't do that. Okay. So it's a matter of having a boiler that heats water, and you pump the water through this tubing that is in the floor. If the house is... I mean, the ultimate system is to have a slab on grade, so a, a concrete floor, mm -hmm. no basement, no crawl, and the tubing is in the concrete. Okay. And you heat that water to a temperature that makes the floor toasty. What, what typically is that temperature? Of the water? Mm -hmm. It will vary depending on how cold it is outside, but just as an average... You're looking at only having to heat water to 100, 110 degrees. Okay. Because I, I have a boiler at the house, and I have a thermometer on it, and I think it goes like 140. Does that sound right? That sounds low. Because okay. you told me before, yeah. before we started this, you told me that you had what we refer to as hydro air. What it is is a coil or uh -huh. like a radiator right. that's in your ductwork. Right. The air blows over that coil and blows air out the grills. Okay. 140 is low. Now, you may have looked at the temperature gauge on the boiler and only caught it when it was at okay. 140. That might be it. But on the average, a hydro air system like what you have, mm -hmm. the temperature of the water is going to be 170, 180. You know what? Maybe I have seen 170 before on it. Yeah. Maybe that, that does ring a bell. So the, the downside of that is that it takes a lot more energy. If you had a, the, the example I use to my customer is if you had a cubic foot of water. Right. And this cubic foot of water was at 100 degrees. And this cubic foot of water was at 170 degrees. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to raise them both 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot less energy, so a lot less natural gas, propane, oil, right. to heat the one, 100 to 110 mm -hmm. than it does to heat the 170 to 180. Makes sense. Even though it's only 10 degrees. Right. They're both going up the same amount, but it's a lot less. So with radiant heat and us only heating water to 100, 110, 120, it doesn't take as much energy. Yeah. So you burn less fuel. So yes. it costs right. the, the savings in regards to the cost of that is much less then. Correct. And with the boiler technology we have nowadays, it's even more costly. Yeah, you were telling me. It's crazy how it goes. It can, just, it can adjust so the, by the temperature. The way the, the boilers work nowadays, and this is code, by the way. So back in 20, maybe 15, the Department of Energy passed a code that said that all boilers sold in the United States has to have the capacity to do what's referred to as outdoor reset. Now, 
Outdoor reset is nothing more than the fact that the boiler looks at the temperature outside. Okay. And depending on how cold it is outside, it varies the water temperature. Because if you think about it, yeah. you don't need as much heat in a house if the temperature outside is 40 and you're only looking to take the chill off the house mm-hmm. than if the outdoor temperature is zero and the wind's blowing. Right. So the way that this outdoor reset works is thermostat, your thermostat calls for heat. The boiler says, oh, I need to turn on. How cold is it outside? Mm-hmm. Well, the temperature outside is 40. I'm only going to heat the water to 100 right. for a radiant system. So let's stick with radiant system. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to heat the water to 100 or 90. All of a sudden, the sun sets. Cold front moves in. Water, the air temperature outside starts to drop. The boiler sees that and automatically starts raising the water temperature going out into the floor. So that by the time it's 10 degrees outside, the water temperature going into the floor is now 120, mm. which means you're producing more heat. So house. instead of keeping the house, set, well, 70 degrees, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep the house 70 degrees. But it's still going to keep the house at 70. It, but it's going to... It's going to keep it at an even temperature during that whole time as well, is what I'm understanding. Because it, it fluctuates. It- yes, and it's going to burn as little fuel as possible. Because here's the other flip side of the coin. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's looking at that outdoor temperature and saying, oh, well, I only need to heat the water to 100 degrees. It then turns the flame on. And just like a gas cooktop... Okay. You know how you can take a gas cooktop and you can turn the dial and you can go from simmer to high. Yeah. So the, the amount of gas you burn and the size of the flame changes. Mm-hmm. So does the boiler. So the boiler says to itself, okay, well, I need to heat the water to 100, 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. It turns on and it looks at the temperature of the water leaving the boiler. And it only burns the exact amount of gas needed to hit that number. Okay. So the flame inside the boiler modulates. It varies. Gotcha. So that it'll burn the smallest amount of gas needed to make sure that we still get that 100 degrees. Right. Now, there are houses, obviously, that have more than one thermostat. Okay. So let's say you have a house that's got... Three thermostats, so three zones of heat. Right. They all work independently. So what happens is the first zone, the first thermostat calls for heat, and the boiler turns on, looks at that 100 degrees going out, and sits there, and it burns at a really small flame, and it meets its requirement. All of a sudden, a second zone calls. Well, the boiler can see that because all of a sudden now there's more water going through it. Right. The water temperature drops. So the boiler says, oh, something's going on. So it automatically raises the flame so that now both zones are getting that 100-degree water. Okay. And are there, are there like... Is there like flanges or is there gaskets that open up or valves that when, you, when that second... When you, when you have those... There three, are... So there's a couple of ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. Depends on your philosophy, how you, how you like to do heat. Yes, there are valves. You okay. can do, they're motorized shutoff valves. Okay. 
They're referred to as zone valves. Got a it. lot of people have them. I don't like them. Okay. It's a preference. Okay. Do they work? Sure. Is there an issue with them? Not really. Okay. What I like, and there's a couple of reasons why, I don't know how technical you want to get, but what I do is I install a separate pump on each zone. Okay. So zone one calls, that pump turns on. Zone two calls, that pump turns on. So each, one, each pump is sending water only to that zone. I got a visual on it. So you have your main trunk line here and your zone coming off this way, another zone coming off this way, another zone coming off this way. You have the pump on the intake valve, right? Uh, you're, 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 you're pumping your pump out to, to go out system. to the zone. You Correct. have it there. And so when that kicks on, more flow of water pushes through and that's yeah. it. So each pump in an equal will send water to where it's got it. designed to go to. Yeah, that's interesting. The reason, a quick version of why I don't like zone valves is the problem is when you have, say, three zone valves, mm -hmm. you have one pump pumping through those zone valves. Okay. So the issue, become, unless you install, oh, I could go on forever. Unless you install a variable speed pump that knows that a zone valve has opened, you've got a pump that just pumps at one speed. Mm -hmm which is most everybody. Okay. First one opens up, it sends a certain amount of water through. If another one opens up, well, now you're robbing water because now you've got to ask that pump to pump through two zones and not just one zone. Okay. So the flow will vary to each zone. With when you have each zone have its own pump, it's always consistent. Flow. Got it. That makes sense. So that's my preference, but you'll find a lot of guys around here... Um, more of the guys that, that dabble in boilers will, will install zone valves. Gotcha. They're easy to, I mean, you can, they're easy to buy. They're easy to install. Okay. Um, uh, just not my thing. The, so radiant heat, you like that heat over any other heat. What about cooling? What about, so. So, oh boy, you're getting into a topic here. So here's the problem with the radiant cooling is out there. Okay. If you lived in Phoenix, where you didn't have issues with humidity, okay, go for it. Got it. You can do it. So you run chilled water through that same tubing. Got it. It's the and condensate it, and, that's going to cause And it all absorbs these. the heat. Mm -hmm. But we're in Virginia. Yeah. We like, have to. We old, have to. We have to deal capital with, of the United States. We have to deal with humidity here. <laughs> right. So the problem is that. And the problem that I've had with it, and maybe the controls are much better now. Mm -hmm. I, I don't dabble in radiant cooling. I, I just... So the problem that you can potentially have is that if you're running chilled water through the floor... Right. If you mistakenly hit the dew point, you're going to have a lake. Got it. Because all the moisture in the air... Because you're, at, you're below the dew point, it's going to condense and just end up raining in a house. Got it. So you have to, so the, the issue becomes, yes, you can do radiant cooling, but you also have to have some form of a system to now dehumidify the house at the same time. What is, so that's not a good option here. Uh, noted. I get it. Not to me. Yeah. 
What um, I'm sure there's somebody out there will argue that will argue this whole point with me. Okay. Yeah, but your point is very uh, makes sense. Um, and if you understand dew point and where moisture creates and how water even just destroys all houses, uh, correct. It is like it is the life and the death of everything living in this world and non-living because water is the most damaging thing to houses that there is. Oh yeah. I mean, a, a tree doesn't do near like a tree could fall on the house and a water could still do more damage than a tree. And I've seen it happen. Now the tree happens a lot faster. Give water some time and it'll cause major issues. Yeah. Um, the, what kind of material with the radiant heating, I, you know, I've done some reading on it. Um, in regards to, uh, you know, what's the best material? You're saying the concrete, that's the best material to do it in? Can you, in the retrofitting? Yeah, so you can retrofit, but the real simple explanation of why concrete is so good is because if you think about it, if you had a house that had a four-inch concrete slab, mm -hmm. whether it's a, your main floor and it's a single-story house on a slab, yeah. or whether it's a basement, you got four inches of concrete, and that tubing is in the concrete. If you heat up that four inches of concrete, that is just one big-ass radiator. Right. If the heat turns off, it continues to radiate. Right. If you have a power failure, it continues to radiate. Right. For hours. Right. So it's the best material. However, retrofit. You got a couple ways to retrofit. So I'm doing one, I'm quoting one right now. And what it is, it's an existing house up on Wintergreen. They are, they've almost gutted the place, okay. including they took up the flooring. They left the subfloor, so the plywood down. Got it. All the hardwood or whatever was there, I don't even know what was there, is gone. Mm -hmm. They want me to add radiant heat to the main level. Right. Which is a wood structured floor. Uh -huh. So I can't, we're not putting it in concrete. Right. So the way you do it is there are several products in the market that allow me to put panels on top of the subfloor. Okay. Depending on which product, the panels are either a half an inch thick or five eighths of an inch thick. So it's not very deep. Right. There are grooves in the middle of these products that you snap the tubing into. Okay. One of the product, the best product is a product made by a company called Rayhow. They're pretty much the people that invented PEX tubing, okay. PEX pipe. Yep. German. They are the company I use for all my radiant products, but they make an aluminum, extruded aluminum panel called Rau panel, R-A-U panel. And it's a six inch wide aluminum panel. It's got feet and a groove in the middle. Mm -hmm. So you lay that, then you lay a two inch piece of furring strip, then another panel, then another furring strip, then another panel. The furring strips are there so that your contractor, your flooring people have a place to attach okay. their flooring. Mm -hmm. You run the tubing through the grooves back to the boiler, back to the distribution area, and then you put your flooring on top. So that's a retrofit system 
but to do that retrofit, the floor, the, the existing floor has to be gone. Right. Everything's going to raise up. In it. And everything's going to raise up either half or five-eighths of an inch. Right. So as I tell everybody that wants to look into this kind of thing, I said, you've got to worry about what are you putting up for flooring? What steps do you have? Your first step's going to be off now. Right. What door sills do you have? Yeah. So this, these are all things that have to be worked around with the contractor. Uh-huh. The other method, which is a little bit less efficient and much more of a pain in the butt for me, is to put the tubing on the underside of the subfloor. Right. The way that's done is there are also aluminum plates. They're just flat plates with a little bump in them where the tubing goes. Yep. You screw them to the bottom of the subfloor. Mm-hmm. And then you put the tubing in the groove. Got it. And then you insulate. Okay. So the aluminum plate touches the bottom of the subfloor yeah. and transfer its heat. So you can put two of these. If you have a standard construction house where in most construction, the floor joists of a house are 16 inches apart. Uh-huh. So two of these go in a floor joist space. Got it. And same thing, hook it to a boiler and off you go. It's... So do you think the, the engineering degree and the math that you did with all the calculations that you probably have to run for this to make it, sure it, flow it, and... Don't get me wrong. Um, Engineering-wise and mathematically, I'm overqualified for what I do. Okay. But don't also get me wrong. I use a lot this of, a lot. Yeah. So it was not... I've never considered it a waste of my parents' money. <laughs> so... Right. Yeah. No, it's just interesting. Um, I I, uh, I find it fascinating, you know, especially because you got to figure out how much flow goes to this room. What's the cubic feet of this size room? How oh, exactly? I mean, it's it's one of the things that when I so for a while I taught at K Tech. Okay. Yeah. I had an agreement with another person that taught. So this is night classes, one day a week. They're three hour classes, and they are these. These students are employed, and they're there to get their journeyman's card. Right. Well, the book that was being used had a one or two chapters on hydronics. The guy I was working with, the guy I, he was a friend of mine. He works in the HVAC industry. Right. Um, he taught, and he knows very little about hydronics. So we approached the KTech, the Albemarle County, and... Uh, got me to teach two or three weeks of the semester mm-hmm. of the hydronics. Got it. So one of the things we talk about, among many things, that I, I touch the basics. Right. Because these guys, these kids are not currently in the hydronics business. They're in the HVAC. Right. But you never know, A, you never know what they're going to end up doing for their life, and mm-hmm. B, you never know when they're going to walk into a house and see a system. Right. So one of the things I talk about is, well, how big does a pipe need to be to move a certain amount of BTUs, a certain amount of heat? Right. How much flow can you put through that pipe? And it goes on and on. Right. I mean, so, and how are old systems designed? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a lot, there are a lot of old hydronic systems in this town. Yeah. No, I, Park Street, Locust Avenue, 
They're everywhere. I've been in a lot of them. I've yeah. seen them. Big old cast iron radiators. And we pull them out. <laughs> well, you know, I once told a customer, I, I, I got a short story about that. So I get a phone call f- from someone that has a f- big old farmhouse out in the country. And he wanted me to come out and look at his system. So I go out and I meet him and we go down the basement and there's a big monster old boiler and a whole house full of big cast iron radiators. Right. So he asked me, he said, so I want you to give me a quote. I want you to rip all the radiators out and I want you to rip the boiler out as much piping as you can get to and just take it all out. Yeah. I said, why? Well, my wife doesn't, they take up too much space. I said, this is a, you know, early 20th century, 1900s farmhouse with single pane windows and, you know, who knows what insulation. Right. What are you going to do? Oh, we're putting in heat pumps. Yeah. And I'm thinking, no, (laughs) no. So I said, you sure you want to do this? He said, yeah, I mean, we're going to do it. So I said, all right, I'll quote you. He says, so what would... What do we do? What are you going to do with the old radiators? I said, well, do you have an old barn or something? He says, well, yeah, I mean, I do. I said, well, why don't we store them in the old barn? He said, well, why would we store them? I said, when you find out your heat pumps are not going to be comfortable and you're going to want to put all this stuff back into your house again. I never got the phone call back to do the job. (laughs) So, well, it is what it is, right? He'll learn. just FYI, my house, 1880, old farmhouse, um, hard pine floors. Uh, I, I had an old boiler in it, and I was like, ah, I can't do this. Put two heat pumps in it. My first winter there, my electric bill was $970 one month. And I said, and it was cold in the house. And I was like, mm, we got to do something about this. So that's when I put the boiler in with the forced, uh, forced air. And so it, the radiators are, are not hooked up, just the forced air with the boiler? Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. Though I would like to have put some radiators in because I think it would be better. But I appreciate you, Jeff, coming in, sharing your knowledge, sharing uh, about the radiators. Um, I've learned a lot in this, and I need to have you come out to my house. And I think, but my, you didn't learn to keep your radiators. Did I, you? I no, I I'm, I just learned too late. <laughs> That's what it was. I, yeah, I learned too late because um, it had all the pipes and everything cut all that stuff out and ripped it out but uh that's unfortunate you won't be the first i get a lot of phone calls from people that ask me if i want their old radiators yeah (laughs) well again thank you sir for coming in sharing the story you're welcome Uh, thanks for having me uh piedmont radiant is your business look him up uh he doesn't have a website but if you look him up on google his phone number will pop up and you can give him a ring he is the guy to call obviously uh he's taught everybody around here even what uh radiant heating is so give him a call check him out and um until next time thank you